Today's scripture is Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, starting with verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. That's the word of God. Thanks, Patrick. Good morning, Windsor Church. Before we get into our message today, we have uh, some, uh, not some, some good news, but some sad news. So Tom and Tasha, did Pat give you a heads up? Okay, good. I don't want to surprise you. So um, Tom and Tasha Tucker in the back, they can wave. They don't have to stand, but um, they, this is their last Sunday with us. Um, they have been a part of this church for two years, give or take. So they are moving down to Texas um, so that Tom can, he's going to pursue some school opportunities, and I'm obviously really prepared for all the details of that. But we are sad, really sad, <clears throat> really sad to see them go. Um, had the privilege of being in, I've had the privilege of being in community group with them for a little bit, and then kind of linked up over in Greeley. And so um, I just want to pray for them now. Um, as we send them off and trust that um, God's going to do a good work and um, hopefully it's my plan that they come back, but Tom has been a little bit non-committal on that, so <clears throat> let's pray. Father, thank you for um, this family and just the blessing that they've been to be part of our body here for the last couple of years, and we just pray that as they um, depart that it will be, um, you'll give them traveling mercies and safety, um, bless them with a good local community um, of believers down where they're headed, and that um, you would bless and guide them um, and give them the wisdom and, and grace to um, follow, your, follow your commands. Um, and we trust that if we don't see them again here on earth, that um, because we have a future with you for eternity, we will be together with them again, and we thank you for that and, re and rejoice in it. So I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Josh Trickstad. I'm, I'm a, I go to church here. Um, we, lead a, <laughs> we lead a community group um, over in Greeley and been here for about four years, and um, this is our church home. So once in a while, um, Dan and the other pastors are um, gracious enough to allow other people to come in and, and preach. So um, today's, today's my privilege. I get to be here, and I'm, re I'm really excited about that. So, um, and humbled to be part of, part of our worship in this way. When Dan first texted me a couple months ago now and asked if I would be interested in preaching this summer, um, I said, yeah, absolutely, would love to do that. And there was a couple weeks later that we started talking through dates and what, was, what made best with my schedule, um, and then he gave me, and after we settled on that, he gave me the text, Ecclesiastes 11, and I, my thought was, oh, we're still in Ecclesiastes, 
So this is truly, this is vanity. This is, uh, it's never ending, it felt like. But that's okay, because I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I've been blessed by it in this, in this sermon series over the last couple of weeks. And then even um, just, I think, with um, really good memories of what God has taught me and encouraged me um, through life, even going back to when I kind of first intersected with Ecclesiastes as I was um, reading and studying as a new believer in college, and God has done um, a really good work through these, these chapters um, in my life. So something about Ecclesiastes that I guess um, reminding us, catching us up to date of what we've, what we've seen so far is that Ecclesiastes focuses on the outliers in life, on the paradoxes, some of the exceptions to the rules. So um, where you have um, Proverbs is a little bit different than that. Ecclesiastes just tends to focus on that. And that, that meets me where I'm at. I'm a, I'm a pretty optimistic person, generally, um, situation to situation. Um, and with that, there's, there's some skepticism because in, in negative circumstances, as you would, might call it, uh, I tend to be, that optimism makes me skeptical. Like, oh, maybe the person's not really guilty. You know, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe there's a, something strange going on here. Um, as they say, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I just, I tend, Josh tends to approach um, situations with, where there's smoke, there's smoke, and there might be a root cause to that, and let's, you know, be sure that you're sure before you get to that. Um, so I resonate with Ecclesiastes because I'm, I'm just skeptical in some of those ways. Um, I know that there's exceptions to the rules of life. So I told my wife, I guess an illustration of this, I told my wife a few, few months ago um, as we were starting getting into Ecclesiastes and I'm reflecting on how uh, all the knowledge and um, sex and wives and money and wealth didn't satisfy Solomon. <clears throat> I told her and confessing like, Man, I feel that way. My heart feels that way. I, for, for whatever reason, um, I think about, I see like the lottery billboards and, and this is just, you know, I've repented of this um, in seriousness. But I see the lottery billboards, and I told her, I was like, I just think that, like, if I bought a lottery ticket, I think I would win. <laughs> and it's not rational. It's not logical. There's nothing, there's nothing. And it's just, and it's my, it's my, my flesh that really thinks that, um, thinks I'd be, I'd be better off as a, as a multimillionaire. Um, and I probably, I'm probably not the only person in here that's ever had that thought. So um, I've never bought a full lottery ticket. I split one um, with someone else who I don't see in here, so I'm not going to embarrass them, um, and one other person, so they're not, they didn't, it wasn't 50-50. It was, uh, I would have only won a third of the lottery, and we didn't. So, um, and to be clear, the lottery, it's a tax on people who are bad at math, so I'm not, that's not a, don't go buy any lottery tickets. It's not a good idea. Proverbs makes that really clear. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is a reminder that more stuff, more things won't satisfy me. That more won't make me happy. Um, and the reason I'm saying this is because uh, it's just this book has spoken to me. And we're going we're gonna to see that more in, in today's passage. The, the frustrations, the outliers, the paradoxes, the exceptions to rule, the rules in life are all summed up in this word that we've talked about a lot over the last couple months, Hevel. 
It's vanity. It's meaningless. Um, understanding some of life's paradoxes is, is chasing the wind. It's trying, to, it's trying to grasp the air. Proverbs focuses on pithy wisdom statements that reduce life to simply following the rules in a lot of ways. One plus one equals two. You reap what you sow. Life is very predictable, and in many ways it is. But Ecclesiastes unpacks um, and comes together a little bit more like something from Ikea, that um, you got to sort through the directions and find your language, and then after you get it all out of the box and you're amazed that they fit that much, um, fit a whole dresser into a small box like that, and then you get it all together, you still have parts left over, and you don't know if those were just you know, given to you as extra just in case, or if you miss something and then and you're wondering, do I, is it worth it to go back and take this whole thing, it took me three hours, take this whole thing apart, put it all back together. Um, so that's, that's Ecclesiastes. It can, it's frustrating. Um, when preparing for this message, after all life, this, this message is, um, in a lot of ways, it's just a destination of something that I hope God has been, I know God has been doing in my heart for a couple weeks. Um, I'm not going to say anything to you today that's new. I'm not going to, there's, there's um, no big secrets that are going to come out today. And, and hopefully everything I say today um, is in line with the text and then therefore will be said again in the future. So um, I just would encourage you, I know that God has us all here together for a reason. Um, and I would encourage you to, to be open and, um, and we're going to pray now that God will have our hearts prepared to hear what his message is for you as individuals and, and for us as a church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, this portion of scripture specifically. And I just pray that um, now as I speak, that you would speak a perfect message through an imperfect um, messenger but that we would hear and be able to walk out of here today obeying you um, and, and knowing, knowing you more closely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's text is directed specifically towards young people uh, and, of course, everyone else. The thrust is to apply wisdom to the youthfulness of our lives. And since we are all younger today than we will be tomorrow, I'm going to ask a couple questions to all of you, all of you young people. Question number one, what are the best years of your mortal life going to be? Are you in the best years now? Are you past them? Or are the best years of your life somewhere in the future? Do you take time intentionally, question number two, do you take time intentionally to rejoice in your current life? Men, do you lead your families and, your, um, and the people around you in rejoicing? Women, do you lead, do you exemplify rejoicing in your spheres of influence? Young people, do you rejoice in your life as it is now? Or are you possibly, potentially stuck in a, in a mentality of better than? Life will be better than. I've just got to fix a couple key things. Just got to get some more money, win the lottery, get a job, iron out what my future looks like. When I know those things, then I can settle in and life will be good. Question number three, are you satisfied with your life and prepared for death? Because this life will certainly kill you.
Thankfully, God has some things to say about these questions, and he has um, a message for us today. So let me read again Ecclesiastes 11. It won't be up on the screen behind us, um, so take take a look in your Bible with me and just read with me, and I'll make some comments as we read. Verse 7, Ecclesiastes 11, 7. Life, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. And that's, that's talking about youth. That's talking about um, the vigor and the vibrancy of young life. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness, that's old age, let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So, There's a couple instructions here that we'll walk through together. The first one is to rejoice in your entire life. So the admonition is to, it's pointed at young people. And as we said before, all of us are a little bit younger today than we will be tomorrow. But then initially he says, rejoice in your entire life, regardless of your age. Rejoice in every one of those years. Learn to rejoice in your life while you're young so that you will be able to rejoice at later ages when it's objectively more difficult to rejoice. The days of darkness are a reference to old age, and it's based on a metaphor for losing one's sight. Nowadays, if you start to have problems with your sight, in most circumstances, we have bifocals, LASIK, um, numerous surgeries that can correct that. 3,000 years ago, that was not the case. Losing your sight and starting to um, see dimness, that was just a reality of becoming old. We're going to see that more in, in the beginning of chapter 12, the physical effects of just, of just aging. So the preacher is saying that if you can't learn to rejoice now while you're young, it's going to be much harder to learn that lesson later on when you're old. I was talking with, um, with Dan Hardy about this message last week, and, and I kind of threw something by him and said, you know, there's one thing I want to kind of articulate where I've, just, I've lived through some of this, um, but I don't want to come off and try and convince people, especially pe- people who are older than me, truly older people, that I'm aging in any way. And he said, yeah, I agree, don't do that. You'll get laughed off the stage. Um, so I took that advice. I'm not going to convince you that I'm aging. Um, but I will confess a couple things. Um, in the last three years, I've had three surgeries. So, and that's coming from, I hadn't, hadn't had any surgeries or really spent, had any medical type issues at all until I was almost 20. Um, and so the last three years, it's just been like this, and, it, and they haven't been, there's been no foresight. I haven't seen it coming at all. It's been surprised. So two hernias, um, two summers in a row, um, and then in April, I, had a, I got an ACL replacement um, where I had my, my knee rebuilt. Um, and that's, it's not a huge deal. It's not life-threatening. But, but it's, a, it's an inconvenience, and, and then there's recovery and, and restrictions that come with that. Um, the hernias, I think, those are, those are all on me. That's just due to um, embracing the idea of like a dad bod. So don't do that. You get weak. 
Um, if you exercise in the past, keep doing it. It's healthy. Um, so I wouldn't recommend that. The knee, um, I have arthritis in my lower back. Um, those things, I'm sure, are really related in a lot of ways to 20, 18, 20 years of wrestling and um, just beating myself up. And it's just some byproducts of, of beginning to age. I'll say it that way. I'm starting to get older. So take a look at Steven. Um, he's got a bum wing. So same thing, um, starting to get old. It's just the beginning, I know. So I know that I'm not old. Um, but I know from this passage that if I can't enjoy life now in, in what can only be described as peak physical condition, um, it's only going to become harder in the future. As we've learned so far in this book, the people, people are gathered together for instruction. That's, what, um, that's who Koheleth, who's the, the person who's speaking here, he gathers people together for, for instruction. And as we are gathered together, we are being told that we need to rejoice in our youth. We need to rejoice all the days of our life. And why do we, why do we need to be told that? I think that there's, there's two ways that we fail, and it's probably not all of them, but these are two of the, the primary ways. We don't rejoice in the present because we are generally adopting what I mentioned earlier, a better than mentality, that things will be better in the future. When, um, when the surgery's over and I'm fully recovered, things will be better then, and then I can finally settle down and rejoice. Things will be better when I get through this um, project at work that's consuming all of my time, it's consuming some of my family's time, um, it's keeping me up at night. When I can just get past that phase, it's just a phase, then things will be better, then I can relax and enjoy life, then I can rejoice. Um, that hits me where I'm at. That's, that's what I'm prone to. I need the instruction to rejoice in life and learn to rejoice in today, in tomorrow, Monday's coming. I need that, I need that um, admonition. I'm a person who's um, pretty driven, and so I can easily get consumed with the business, with the metrics, with performance, um, and I can forget to rejoice in life. And I might fake it well with language of optimism and try and, and convince you that, oh, you know, it's just, it is what it is, and life's good, but um, really deep down in my heart, I need that. I need to be told to rejoice, that I'm not going to be able to just fix a couple things Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then finally be able to just, I can rejoice on Thursday. It's not going to happen. Another mistake that we make is we don't rejoice in the present because of nostalgia um, or regret, that we're, we're looking back. It's the opposite effect of, I, I don't rejoice because I'm consumed with the mistakes that I've made. When I look back, I feel like there's, um, the demons are chasing me, is how you might have heard it. People have made mistakes and they're concerned, they're afraid. Or they look back on a time when they feel like life was easier, life was better. And because of that, they, because of there's a longing for that, it's hard to rejoice as it is now because I missed it. I missed those young years and I'll never get those back. And it, it, uh, it darkens us. It can darken us like a, like a dark cloud. So the instruction is rejoice in the days. Find joy in the day-to-day of your life. Um, number two, he gives further instruction. He tells us how to do that. 
So that's a, that's a question where, where, okay, I'm convinced now I should rejoice, but how? How do I rejoice? What do I need to learn in order to rejoice in the days, in the days of, all the days of my life, and especially in my youth? Verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. That's a confusing verse. As I read that and as I've read that, what is that, what is that telling me? Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And it's, it seems to imply that um, the path to joy is, is some sort of hedonism, some pleasure-seeking. Just do it, just do it as good that makes you happy because you're going to get judged anyway. So is he being sarcastic? Is he being cynical here? That there's nothing we can do, so we just might as well enjoy, enjoy it today because the judgment's coming. Have fun while you can and enjoy it because it doesn't matter. Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. So, switching gears a little bit, yesterday my wife took a trip to Ikea. So I was left with the three children who I love very much. And we, and when, um, when mom's away, we have a lot of fun and sometimes make some messes. So yesterday we didn't want to make a mess. So um, as she was out the door with a, a good friend to head down, down to Denver, I knew we had at least five, six hours. So we sat, short family meeting, sat the kids down in the living room and I said, okay, what are our priorities for today? And they were all um, surprisingly unified I, didn't, I don't think they had a meeting about this before. And they said, we want to have fun. And I was like, okay, fair enough. What do we want to do for fun? So they gave their suggestions, which were, again, pretty unified. And we made a plan, got in the car, and we headed to King Supers, to the treat aisle. So that's our plan. So decisions, decisions. Um, we are a modern click list family, right? So... Um, the kids don't go inside the store very often. So as we're walking around on a busy Saturday and my oldest son, Wyatt, is like, that's not the treat aisle, like really loud to where you're, I mean, it's okay, you're in public. And then we get to the treat aisle and he goes, this is the treat aisle. <laughs> and so, and there's people walking by, they're kind of like, hey, this kid's pretty, pretty excited. So um, we get into the treat aisle, we make our selections, um, pick up a few other things and head home. And before the car was home, as we're driving, um, I warned my oldest son, if you eat all of the fudge-covered Oreos, you will get a stomachache. To which he replied, "Um, Dad, I already have a stomachache, but it's not too bad. Can I keep going? (laughs) So he's walking in the sight of his eyes. My middle child swallowed his gum pretty quickly. He was obsessed with gum. No treats. He just wanted gum. And my daughter, who I'd been, I'd portioned her a couple Swedish fish. um, We're five minutes down the road. She really just wanted to hold the bag. Um, So I think there's some manipulation there. I just want to hold the bag. So this is what, I think this is, um, I say this, sometimes kids help you write your sermons, but um, walk walk in the ways of your heart and the side of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. This is not an admonition to worldly hedonism and fleshly pleasure-seeking. The preacher is instructing us that rejoicing is possible when our hearts are aligned with 
God's commands. Psalm 37.4 explains this well. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Don't believe the lie that you must choose between obedience to God on one hand and true joy. Either I obey God or I'm truly happy, truly satisfied. That is literally the oldest trick in the book. If you go from Ecclesiastes and rewind through the stories of the Old Testament, you go past a dozen other stories and find yourself in a garden where two people are convinced that God's instruction to them to not eat the fruit in the garden is not in their best interest. And so they depart from what they've been told to do and do something that they think is better. If you go in Ecclesiastes and you fast forward through 3,000 years of New Testament and church history and get all the way to where we are today and think through your last week and your next week, you will know and you will likely be able to remember that that same battle is going on in your own heart and in my own heart. I question, and we question, is what God commands, is what God tells me to do, is that's what's really best? Is that really going to satisfy me? And even though um, through sanctifying and God's grace and His Spirit working in our lives, we can learn that lesson, it seems that we uh, have to relearn it. And we will repeatedly have to relearn that. That there is nothing that satisfies us except God Himself. The truth is, in this verse, that there is not a paradox to walking in the ways of your heart and knowing that God will bring you into judgment because a person who is rightly obeying God loves God's law. The activities and pursuits that will truly bring you ultimate, deep, lasting, authentic joy are in line with God's instructions for your life. Psalm 37, 4 again. Delight yourself in the Lord first and he will give you the desires of your heart. So when we see God's instruction for life and what our heart might desire, if those two things are not aligned, it's not God's instruction. There's not a compromise where we will meet in the middle. Our hearts need to be calibrated. We need to find ourselves delighting ourselves in the Lord and then what our heart truly desires and what will only, and then only then what will bring us real satisfaction is in line with what God commands. So don't believe the lie that you have to choose between God and true joy. Uh, and secondly, don't be paralyzed by your own humanity. You and I are sinners. We will make mistakes. We will fail. We will sin. Ecclesiastes 11.10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. The NIV says it this way, so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. It's not an excuse to sin, but it's an encouragement that because we are sinners, there is grace to move on past life's failures. Don't become paralyzed by your humanity. For believers, the good news in the gospel is that God's judgment has been fully absorbed by Jesus on the cross. Don't miss this, because if you miss this, we can, we can abuse our youth. Um, we can waste a lot of time by becoming paralyzed and, and locked up um, over the reality that we make mistakes. 
paralysis number one, um, you can abuse your youth by living in an unhealthy fear of making colossal mistakes. Um, not to say that you should plan on making mistakes and, and not apply wisdom to avoid them, but don't become locked up and paralyzed so that you don't ever step out, you don't ever take action, you sin by omission. Number two, you can waste your midlife by living in regret and self-condemnation. And if possible, number three, the devil will take your old age by keeping you from sharing your wisdom with young people who need to be discipled. They need to be encouraged and loved um, through all the stages of life. So what? What are some conclusions, um, some applications as we, as we wrap up this message? Uh, one question asked at the beginning was, what are the best years of your life? Youthfulness is full of hope. So we should rejoice in our youth. And whatever youth you have left, because I know that some of you have less left than others, um, we need to rejoice in that. Remember death, because, as this author says, God will bring you into judgment. Interpreting this passage through a gospel lens, it's important to note that your standing before God is not based on the things that you do in life. It's based on what you believe. So the question is, do you believe the good news of the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus came to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death, be buried and risen again as the first fruits of what will happen to us in eternity? If you believe that, then your standing before God is, is locked in. You're forever justified. And regardless of your age, young, middle, or old, you have reason to rejoice because the best is yet to come. Application number two, embrace wisdom. The preacher instructs us to rejoice in this life without making regrets. This has been a recurring theme for two weeks. Embrace wisdom. When we are desiring to be wise, we need to ask the question. Dan talked about this two weeks ago and Jason last week. Am I using God's resources of his word, his spirit, and his people? I've failed in this area because I've been too arrogant to, to ask the Lord because I've been afraid that what I think will satisfy me, what I think will make me happy is not, um, is not in line with what God really wants. And so I avoid seeking God's wisdom. I avoid his word, his spirit, and I avoid asking other people for, for insight into, into decisions. Don't do that. Embrace wisdom. Number three is don't poison your youth with sorrow, vexation, and pain because youthfulness is fleeting. It's heaven. Don't waste your life. Mortify the flesh. Make war on sin. In the Old Testament interpretation, sinful folly is always opposed to wisdom. And as we, as we trace those themes through into the New Testament, we find that the perfect manifestation of wisdom is all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. He exemplified perfect wisdom throughout his entire life. So in pursuing wisdom in the Old Testament, we find that we are pursuing Christ, pursuing Jesus in the New Testament. And a pursuit of Jesus is to run from sin. It doesn't mean that, um, it's not as simple as just running from sin because we are we are broken people who are prone to overcorrection and extremism. 
And often while we are avoiding one vice, we can run headlong into another. Don't make that mistake. Pursue wisdom. Follow Jesus. And remember grace. Intend to live with no regrets. But don't be paralyzed by your humanity. There's gospel hope for that. So after these messages that we've heard on wisdom, especially in the last two weeks, um, I would just remind you that wisdom is abundant in the context of the local church because this is the place where God's word, God's spirit, and God's people are all gathered together. I would encourage you in closing Windsor Church to continue to be a place where people of all ages can come to be encouraged, loved, and ministered to God, by God's word. Be a body where the good news of the gospel releases sinners from the guilt and condemnation that we do justly deserve, but that God has graciously rescued us from. Continue to be a body where we can encourage one another to find our greatest joy, our true heart's desire in a relationship with the one who has known us from the very beginning and who loves us more deeply than we can ever imagine. In that truth and in that reality, apart from everything else, the riches, the wealth, the success, whatever the metrics are, in the person in that relationship with Christ, we have caused to rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that as we, as we leave here and we, we proceed into the next stage of our life, this afternoon, tomorrow, this week, that you would remind us that we have cause to rejoice in you and that because of the gospel, you have, um, you have brought us into your, into your forever family. Thank you for your love. I pray you'll bless this uh, portion of the service as we um, take remembrance of you and what you've done on the cross. I pray this in Jesus' name.